You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. I want to invite uh, Johnny up on stage, and he's going to read scripture for us this morning. So you can turn either on the back of your bulletin, there's, uh, there's actually the scripture written there, you can follow along, or in your Bibles. Uh, but Johnny, come read First uh, John. Okay, our reading today is from First John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome, thanks Johnny. Uh, if you didn't understand, Johnny, that's totally fine because I'm going to read through the text over and over again. So it's so good. Love having the world represented here. Uh, so it's so good. Uh, thanks, Johnny, again for the, the reading of God's word. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, forests, like the ecosystem of forests, just for like a minute. So bear with me for about a minute. I want to talk about the ecosystem of a forest. And again, my name is Jer, if you've not met me yet. And if you do not have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's one uh, back there at the welcome desk. And so you can please grab one. It's our gift to you. But forests, let me give you that. Forests contain six, this is interesting stuff. All right. Forests contain 60,000 different tree species, 80% of amphibian species, 75% of bird species, and 68% of the world's mammal species. Like, I find that amazing. And every one of these living organisms have been created with a specific nature to do what they were created to do. This creates this ecosystem. Trees to grow and produce, birds to fly, eat, and create more birds, mammals to live, eat, and create more mammals. This is their nature, how they were created. It is within them. My point is, all right, so we'll bounce off of forest for a second now. My point is that there is a God-given nature that each created thing, plant or animal, was given. And out of that nature that is within them, we have order within an ecosystem. That's, that's where order comes, when we're, we actually live out of the nature that we have been given. What causes the ecosystem to break down and fall apart is when one of these creatures or plants or something outside of that specific ecosystem breaks in and does something outside of what they were created to do. God in Genesis 1, all the way the Bible, created man to bear his image. He gave him a nature. To bear his image, to have dominion over the land and sea and birds and animals, and to be fruitful and multiply. And he said this was good. 
This was good. It was good up until sin entered into creation by way of disobedience. Disobedience to the very nature God created man with. And because of that disobedience, all mankind was now born into sin. New nature was created. Meaning all of mankind now, again, has a corrupt nature that they live by. Out of one's heart, their nature now, man chooses to sin rather than actually to do the nature they were originally created with before sin entered. Now, let me show you this in a couple verses. In Romans 5, 12, it says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spreads now to all men because all sinned. In Psalm 51, 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Sinful nature right from birth. Or Psalm 58, 3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. You do not, these little children, we do not have to teach them how to lie. They're very good at it. right? This is their, their nature that they live in. It's the nature that we live in. Oftentimes, Psalm 58, like I said, 58.3, 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all now died, because that sin produces death. And then Job 15.14, it says, What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Two really great questions. Even Nicodemus, and we don't have this on the screen, but even Nicodemus in John 3, 6 through 7 was taught this by Jesus when he said, this is a Pharisee of, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a teacher, a leader within the, uh, the church back in the day when Jesus walked this earth. And Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, because earlier he said to him that he must be born again. There must be a new nature created within you. And I could keep going because there's about a hundred or so plus verses on the nature of our sin, the nature that's within us. A lot of theologians call this the inner man. So, how does this connect with 1 John? Well, it connects because we each have a nature, and John is trying to reveal the nature we might be living in. So let me pray for us one more time and then we'll jump in. Jesus, uh, we, we, we sit before your word today. Here I stand behind your word and I wanna just please help me preach what this says. Help me not distort it in any way and if I do, Lord, please, no one remember it. But if it's of you, please help all of us to remember it. If it's of you, please help us live by it and surrender to it and humble ourselves to it because it's your word. You are the authority of all things. And so help us, Jesus. Uh, See what you have to say to us here in 1 John chapter 2 and help us surrender to it by your grace and by your love, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, there's a quick outline for us. Nothing like a little alliteration, right? So we've got the goal, grace, and guarantee. 
Goal, grace, and guarantee. You can see uh, the verses laid out beside there, and we're going to bust through those. But the guarantee here of our assurance of salvation, this is a book that if you are struggling with your assurance of salvation, if you want to really understand, am I saved? This is where you take people. This is where you go personally to First John. It's an incredible b- book because people really battled this. And this book is talking about this over and over, and John's already o- opened her eyes to it in, in chapter 1. And again, we're going to see this guarantee. And really, what else could be more important, right? What else could be more important than be assured of your salvation, your eternal existence with Jesus himself? So let me give you a really quick recap of where we are. If you've just joined us, First John, these last two weeks, we've talked about John points us to the true Jesus. We see this in chapters 1, verses 1 through 4, the true Jesus the one they've seen and heard and touched and now proclaim to us. And that's what he's doing. John is proclaiming Jesus's very message to us. And it's sweet. And we talked about John, uh, we have, when we surrender to this true Jesus in verses one, two, and three, and four, this true Jesus, we have fellowship with other believers, but ultimately we have fellowship with God himself. And what, a, what an amazing thing. This, this is what completes our joy. This is verse four of chapter one. Then last week, John shares some of the message they heard from Jesus. He shares that God is light, and in him there is no darkness, meaning you cannot be in the presence of God while living in darkness, right? I, I was talking to an individual this week and, and just walking through this text a little bit more, and, and the Lord gave me this little, really quick analogy of two rooms, a dark room and a light room. And just think about a dark room, it has to be, the only way it can be dark if there's zero light there, right? Because as soon as you put light there, it illuminates that dark room, right? Even if it's a light bulb, like a small little night light, three watt, it brings light to that darkness. So a complete dark room and a complete light room is only with Christ. And Christ, God himself, cannot be in darkness because he is light, and so when he enters into a dark room, it create, makes it light, right? So you have this dark room and this light room. And you cannot be in the dark room and say that you're in the light. And this is what we talked about last week, right? Your, your understanding of who you are in Christ. Are we lying? Are we deceiving ourselves? And so these two rooms are important. So one, one filled with the light of Christ and one filled with darkness. If you say you live in the light, but are actually in the dark room, you are a liar. It says in, the, in verses five through, five through 10, if you are a liar, a deceiver and call God a liar and he is not in you, it says. This is what John is sharing with us that Jesus proclaimed to them. These are Jesus's words to the disciples and they are now proclaiming it to us. But he says the most amazing and beautiful thing. He says in verse 7 of chapter 1, but if we walk in the light, if we are actually in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What an amazing promise. Then in verse 9, he says the same thing. If we confess our sins, if if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So your works then display what room you are in. We talked a little bit about that. Your works display what room you are in. You cannot say you are in the light while living in the dark room. So now let's look at chapter 2. 
Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1, just the first half of it, the goal. The goal. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. And there's another so that, very important, bracket that thing, highlight it, so that you may not sin. This whole message of John's is to point to Jesus as the true source of all life. The true source of all life. I started with force, the ecosystem. He is the source of that. He speaks it into existence. What our existence and all created things can be accredited to is Jesus. Our fellowship and our joy is fully complete in him. John is re-emphasizing this over and over in this book. It is all found in Jesus. And John is writing this letter to the church that they might be warned and that they might test their assurance in the true Jesus. Am I truly walking in the light? Am I truly in that lit room? And by way of reminder, the first test, and there's tests throughout this book, and we're going to highlight them at the end of this sermon series, but the first test is in chapter 1, verse 6. It's the fellowship that we have in the light or in the dark. And if we walk in dark, we are found to be in sin. And a handful of verses later, John says now in 2.1, I am writing these things to you. The reasons why I'm writing these things to you is that so that, and here's the goal, that you may not sin. That you may not sin. That you would heed the warning and confess your sin. These things are to encourage. This is a way, by way of encouragement from John to us. That we might confess our sin. That, we, that, that encourage the believers as they read that they might not fall into sin. To be urgently watchful of what is going on around us as a church and individually. The call of obedience to not sin is huge. Like, think about this call that John is writing to, to us thousands of year, years later. Do not sin. This is a massive call on us. Like, it encompasses so much. It's actually everywhere in the Scripture, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and the same call is for us today. This goal is a goal of perfection. It's a goal of perfection. Remember, the light room. God cannot have any darkness around him. And John's reminding us, do not sin. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Jesus himself says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And really, what else is there when it comes to being in the presence of God, in the light room? There really is no other way to be. We already saw it in chapter 1 that we can't have both a life of sin, a life of darkness, and a life with God. You can't have both. The book of Revelation, actually, Jesus himself says to the churches of Revelation that I wish you were neither or either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You can't have both. See, obedience is a big deal. The call to obedience is everywhere, and even in our broken society. Like, think of it. When you drove here this morning, you either obeyed the law or you didn't. Joel, I hear, obeys the law all the time, right? Drives the speed limit all the time. Uh, Desiree doesn't obey the law, all right? There's laws on the road. We know we sin when we break the law, Right? Right? In our schools, think about it. There's all kinds of areas of obedience. In work, at our home, on the roads, at the, on the water, 
on the ski hills. Obedience is actually everywhere, even in our broken society. Why would we think obedience wouldn't also be in the kingdom of God? See, obedience is an expression of your understanding of authority. And what greater authority do we have than Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords? He is our authority. Let me repeat myself. Jesus says, not me, the Bible, be holy as I am holy. This is our call of obedience. Do not sin. John's call to obedience in this opening verse in chapter 2 is important because our inner man, like I've said, has a nature. And that nature we have received from Adam, it is a nature of disobedience. That's our, tr- that's our original nature. And like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Let me put it to you this way. Think of an apple tree. All right, I've heard this analogy before and I want to use it this morning, but think of an apple tree. And if you have an apple tree that produces rotten, sour, disgusting apples, you cannot blame the apple. You blame the nature of the tree. There's something wrong with the tree. The, The nature of the tree is what's wrong. You can't just keep plucking those rotten, sour, diseased apples off the apple tree and expect next year it's going to produce a good apple. The problem is the nature of the tree. See, the same is with us. If the fruit that we produce is rotten, sour, and diseased, we are still living in our old nature. We are producing fruit out of our sinful nature. If anger, lust, and worry is the fruit that we are producing, we can't point at someone else. We can't point at the situation or problem. They made me angry. They're causing me frustration. This situation around me is worrying me. No, it's already in you. It's your nature that you're living out of. See, I, don't, I didn't know if I was going to go here, but it's, well, I got Ryan to cut a song for a reason so we can read some more Bible. So turn to Romans chapter 6 really quickly. I'm using my new sword. I love it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, act, get your axe ready because Romans are coming. All right, so Romans 6. I love that line. Romans 6. And we're going to start halfway through verse 2, and it's going to be a little bit of a longer text, but incredibly important to see how the Bible is saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, just in different ways. All right, Romans chapter 6, verses 2, we'll start halfway through after the by no means. It says, how can we who die to sin still live in it? Great question. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk now in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, our old nature, was crucified with him in order that the, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. There's your hope, the hope of glory. Verse 9, we, now, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. He lives it out to God. This is the new nature. So you also must consider yourselves This is how we need to think of ourselves. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought uh, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace." Such a sweet passage. And John here is saying the same thing. Obedience from the heart. One pastor said this, the will of man, the inner man, is the handmaiden of the heart. The heart is where the bad or, and or good fruit comes from. The heart is where the transformation takes place. The desire not to sin can only come from the transformed heart. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' work. He's the transformer. Oh man, that's good, eh? Tra- <laughs> All right. Matthew, Matthew 7:21. Look at this one. Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Did you see, do you see this? Like this is Jesus' words. He doesn't go to the confession. He goes to the, the work. The confession is important, but the confession means squat if there's no action. You might actually say you love your neighbor, but if you're a bad-mouthing him and treating him poorly, are you not a liar? Is not your confession of loving your neighbor hypocritical? I'm living in this right now. We, we have a neighbor that's frustrating and I want to love him deeply, but man, my heart is battling. You are saying one thing, but doing the very opposite. See, the goal of verse one is to live holy without sin, to live in your new nature, to strive for it, live urgently for it, to battle, and we all need to do a work of what's going on. So as Reading the text, I'm going, oh, this is hard. And it takes confession. And that's our next point, is grace. We all need it deeply. We need grace. Look at verse uh, 1b, the second half of 1 and and verse 2. It says, but if anyone does sin, (laughs) every one of us, if everyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love the word advocate there. Advocate means a person who publicly supports. 
want to publicly support you as an advocate. Propitiation is another key word here. It means to appease wrath, to regain the goodwill of someone that has offended God. And Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our propitiation. We've offended God with our sin, and Jesus is our propitiation. He, he appeases the wrath of God on the very tool of death, of the cross, for all of us. It's, it's grace. You, we don't deserve it. And this is what grace is. Every single person, past, present, and future, deserves the full wrath of God. But grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. And this is this verse. It's all grace. See, what type of relationship most exemplifies advocacy, propitiation, and grace? The relationship of the family. This is how it ought to work. The family ought to work as an advocate, as a propitiator, and as grace. And the most in the family ought to be the father. The father is to publicly support his wife and his children. The father is also to appease the wrath of his family. If the children of a family are unruly publicly, it is the father that ought to take the responsibility and payment for the children's action and bring discipline. This type of leadership provides grace to the family. Now, there is no perfect man, no perfect man, but we do have a perfect Savior in Jesus. And he perfectly fulfills his role as leader and humbly pays for our sin. This is grace. And it is grace that we do not want to abuse. Rather, it is grace that we want to honor, right? When someone gives you something that you do not deserve, you want to honor that person. And if, if your father acts the way I just read, wouldn't you want to honor him? If your husband treated you and publicly advocates for you and takes the blame, wouldn't you want to serve him? and care for him and love him? Absolutely you would. See, John is telling us how to honor this type of leadership and grace. Do not sin. Do not abuse this grace. And Jesus is that advocate and propitiator for us. He's the perfect one that's walked perfectly for you and I as his children. And this leads us to the guarantee. The guarantee, the assurance we have of our salvation is not merely a confession of who Jesus is, but also how we handle the sin of our heart. We believe Jesus and Jesus alone that can forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all impurity? Yes, we believe that. Do you believe the fruit of your confession from the heart is how you might how you now ought to walk. Yeah. Paul Washer, a pastor and theologian, said upon his confession, I love this quote, he said, I think it's on the screen. Did I put Paul Washer's quote on there? Yeah, I did. He said, I have a new relationship with God. I want to listen to him, learn from him, follow him, and all I do. The question is, upon your confession, do you have a new relationship with sin? It's a great question. So you may have confessed Jesus is Lord of your life, but have no fruit of change in you. The relationship with your sin is unchanged. You proclaim from the dark room. You proclaim, I'm a follower of Jesus because I confess Jesus with my mouth. But there's zero fruit. There's zero evidence. 
See, when you confess upon Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you have a new nature. You are reborn. You're new. It is out of that nature that we now live, that we now produce fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what John is saying over and over again in this little letter. Like the five if-we's that we covered last week. And now here in chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, it says it on the screen there. I've highlighted some things there so that we can't miss it. It's a massive repeat over and over again. It says this, and by this we know. And by this. By, by what? By, by this. That Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation. By this, Jesus' amazing grace, we now know that we have come to know him. When we understand that he is our savior, when he is our advocate, when he is our propitiation for our sins, we now know and we have come to know him when we keep, if we, big if we there, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, John is saying the same thing as he did already in chapter 1. If you live in the darkness and you say you're in the light, you're a liar. Your confession is that you're here, but there's no sign of your movement into the light. John is saying the same thing. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. In other words, there's a new nature. By this we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to now walk in the same way in which he walked. Man, there's a lot of repeat here. Here we know him if we keep his commandments, keep his commandments keep his word, walk as he walked. Now, I've put this on the screen because I don't want any confusion. This is our guarantee. Listen carefully. Read it on the screen. It is not works that save us. Very important to understand. It is not works that save us, but it is our works of obedience out of our new nature given by the transforming grace of Jesus and the sealed Holy Spirit that expresses our faith. It is the fruit of our new nature. And John's not the only one that says this. James and Paul also say it. Look at James in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, there's your confession, says he has faith but does not have works? The question is, can that, save, can that faith save him? And the answer is no. If you confess Jesus as Lord at camp and have done nothing to express your faith but disobey God's commands, but you rely on that confession of your salvation, the Bible is saying, not me. Don't put that on me. The Bible is saying. The Bible is saying. You are not saved. The inspired authors of the scriptures, Paul, James, and John, are all saying the same thing. 
and also the other 37 authors of the scripture because they all ha are, have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4, we read from 2 to 14. Let me read 1 through 4. It says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, are we to sin, sin, and sin and just say grace saves me? Because we, we hear that quite often, right? Grace alone, which is a true statement. But when there's no action, as we've heard from James already, there's a problem. And, and here, Paul is saying the same problem, by no means. How can we, who die to sin, still live in it? He's dumbfounded by this. How can we, how, how can we do this? This, is, this sounds crazy to me. You say you've confessed and you love Jesus, but yet you do completely opposite things throughout the week. It's mind-blowing, is what he's saying. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk might walk in newness of life because you're new nature. You've been transformed. James says in his letter in 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's a false faith. In this little epistle of 1 John, John says in chapter 1, 6, 8, and 10, if you are walking in darkness... God and the truth is not in you, then adds, your confession is a lie. And again, here in chapter 2, John is saying, we know, we know our guarantee is our faith lived out in Jesus by keeping his commandments, keeping his word, and walking as Jesus walked. Please don't in misinterpret me or the Bible here. It's saying, I'm not saying, do all these things, then you are saved. The Bible doesn't say that, and I'm not saying it. I'll say it again. I'm not saying, do all these things, then you are saved. This is where a lot of times we get confused. I am saying, however, along with the scriptures, your salvation is secured in Jesus alone, grace alone, God's glory alone, God's word alone, and by faith alone. And because of your belief and confession, your internal nature has transformed and your new internal nature is no longer a slave to sin and death, but to life and righteousness. You being changed now walk as Jesus walked. This is how we know. The real goal is to put our faith and action in Jesus, in his commandments, in his words, in his way of life. By doing so, your confession of faith is guaranteed by way of your transformed heart. Theological words like regeneration and sanctification work like this. The root of regeneration, so in that tree, the root of regeneration, you've been transformed into a new person, a spirit person. The root of regeneration produces fruit of sanctification. There's going to be a change in how you think and how you act and how you love your neighbor. Like, I actually do love my neighbor, even though there is times that I'm very frustrated at him to the point where I want to knock on his door and yell at him. 
But Jody and I have talked, and I'm like, I want to knock on his door and share the gospel with him because I want to love him the way God has loved me. See, Pastor Stephen Lawson says, faith alone saves, but faith that is alone does not save. Such a great line. See, when you are obedient, there is a sense of fulfillment, a sense of love and joy and peace, a deep desire to abide in Christ. When you have the Spirit of God within you and you slip into sin, which, man, like I'm not saying we don't sin anymore. We all sin continuously. But are you grieved over it? Grieved about it and confessed to Jesus. Like I'm grieved over not loving my neighbor. That's why I put it in here. Because I want to do the good work. And I want you, as my church, my family, to do the good work. Really evaluate your life. Please. There's eternal consequences. We need to evaluate these things. And the beauty is, like John said in chapter 1, verse 9, if you confess your sin, which I've confessed it to you now, I need to act on it. Confess your sin. Jesus is faithful and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the last slide there, the goal is to not sin. The grace is Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation. And the guarantee is a changed heart that produces fruitful obedience. The question is, going back to my example of a tree, are you living out of your old nature? Confessing, confessing things that are are not of Christ or maybe confessing that you're in the light but actually you're living in the darkness really important to evaluate and please I, I challenge us to do so and then confess your sin the grace, is, the grace of Jesus is ready to forgive you or are you living out of your new nature, given to Jesus, and, and out of that new nature, you're producing love and joy and fruit and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, and you're living in this, uh, and you don't even recognize yourself from years ago. Then I, I would say to you, keep going. Keep going. Keep growing. You're living in sanctification. You're becoming more like Christ even each and every day, which is a sweet, sweet thing. This is the call. Do not sin. So, oh, friends and family and church, if we're in sin, let's confess it. Let's bring it to light. And so we're going to close with prayer. But as we close, there's going to be a few more songs here that we're going to sing. But take this opportunity, take this time to confess sin to one another. If you're in a community group, go to your community group leaders and talk to them and confess sin that we might walk with each other. This is the beauty of the, the scriptures call us to do this. And this is a church that we gather that we might become more like him each and every day. And if you're not in a community group, we'll be up here praying for people. Please come and confess sin. We should all have an opportunity to confess to one another and now live differently moving forward. And please keep me accountable. I want to love my neighbor. So I'm asking you publicly, keep me accountable. And I want to do the same for you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us as a church. I so desperately want, when you return, to go, I've got nothing against you as the church of the shore. 
to hear those words from you would be the sweetest things ever. I've got nothing against you. You, you confess your sin. You, you love me. You, you surrender your sin to me and, and you trust it in me as your Lord and Savior. Help us. Help us, Father. Be faithful servants of yours. Help us qu- quickly confess the sin of our hearts and trust that, that you are a loving, forgiving Lord and Savior. And I pray for us as we continue to worship and sing that we, we would do it out of our, the joy that you've transformed our hearts and given us a new nature to surrender to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.